following sermon is from Grace City Church, located in DY, Sydney, Australia. If you'd like to know more about us, head to gracecitychurch.net. Okay, well, good morning. It's great to have the privilege of speaking to you this morning. It is a privilege to, to speak. Uh, and this is our last weekend with you on this occasion. And uh, uh, on Wendy's, on my behalf, just to thank you for uh, the outstanding welcome. Uh, we've had not only publicly in meetings, but privately in homes and settings. It's been tremendous fun to be with you. You certainly hold a place in our hearts and our prayers, even when we're not here. And uh, you really are quite a unique people. I don't know if you realize that, but we feel that as we come among you. Uh, not only your warmth to uh, visitors, but your affection for one another is uh, beautiful to see. And also your openness, as Pete uh, commented on that uh, beautiful prayer, that sense of speaking on all our behalf. Lord, we're here for you. And uh, you just feel God's heart responding to that. Exactly as uh, Pete said, I was feeling that in my heart. I thought, wow, how does God feel about that kind of invitation? And uh, as we were led into worship, we're here for you, Lord. And uh, I was praying earlier in the week that, that verse which says, uh, they that uh, come to God must believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And uh, to prioritize a weekend like this in busy lives uh, to come here is an expression of diligently seeking God. And so we must believe he wants to reward that. That's his attitude. He wants to reward that. So I do pray that uh, certainly my voice here might be a blessing, and indeed every session might be uh, a terrific blessing to us, and we can enjoy one another's company as we're here together for this weekend. I'm going to speak to you unusually from the book of Jonah, instructed by Peter. Uh, (laughs) Book of Jonah. Uh, If you want to turn there, uh, I'm going to read once again from the NASB. But the book of Jonah... And I'll be speaking to you from it in a couple of sessions, okay? So we'll follow the story together. The book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us that we don't perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots to see if we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us now, 
On whose account has this calamity struck us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they said to him, what should we say? What should we do to you that we, the sea may become for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. And the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to the land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and don't put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Father, we, we are here for you. Lord, truly, we love the fun of being together. But bottom line is this, we are here for you. And we thank you so much that you have put that in our hearts. Lord, we acknowledge that you've done that and we praise you for it. And we ask you, Father, for the help now of the Holy Spirit. Would you please be our teacher? And I invite you, Holy Spirit, just to rest upon us. I pray we may not only correctly understand this, but I pray I might catch the tone of how you want to speak to us. And that, Lord, we may hear your voice in our hearts, that each of us, Father, might recognize this is my heavenly Father speaking to me, and that, Lord, we might all, all benefit from hearing you together. So, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you now, Lord. We're so glad to belong to you. We pray, Lord, let us really be taught by you throughout this session for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It would appear that this was probably the most successful king in Israel's history in terms of the borders being pushed back compared after Solomon. He was one of the most successful. But we just read he was an evil king. So Jonah is living an unusual day. His prophecy has been absolutely vindicated. He prophesied success, the enlarging of borders. But this was not a good day. It wasn't a day where God was being honored by the nation. And so Jonah is in an unusual situation. He's uh, a comfortable prophet. He's living in a day when the nation seems to be doing well, although it's not genuinely honoring God. And there he is, a prophet. It's been proven to be correct, accurate, accepted. There he is in his prophecy. And in the midst of that kind of uh, comfortable situation of being a prophet in a backslidden nation, suddenly God speaks. Go to Nineveh. And it's like, huh? Suddenly, what was everything? What, hey, what? Go to Nineveh? This word comes out of the blue. This word comes uh, from not expecting. And this, this is a true, he's a true prophet. It says, the word of the Lord came to him. Now, that's the mark of a prophet. 
That's how you, again and again in the Old Testament, you say the word of the Lord came to Elijah or the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. That's how you know a prophet. The word of the Lord comes to him. And this word suddenly comes completely in uh, contrast to what he's he's expecting. He's, He's suddenly woken up to the reality that the God he serves, he's the servant of God. And, and he's been very comfortable prophesying in, mm, okay, I'm accepted, I'm the prophet. Yeah, we're not doing well, but hey, I was right. And uh, suddenly, go to Nineveh. And he's woken up to the fact the whole earth belongs to the Lord, and he's the Lord's servant. And suddenly, he's very uncomfortable. He's shaken out of his complacency. Suddenly, the, you see, right from the beginning, when God spoke to Abraham, God said to Abraham, I will bless you. And through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth. God's purpose in calling Israel was to bless the nations. God's purpose is for the whole world. God so loved the world. And Jonah had kind of forgotten that. Jonah's comfortable. All's well. I'm doing okay. And God's spirit speaks to me and I speak to people. And suddenly, God's speaking to him in a very uncomfortable way. Go to Nineveh is completely a shock to his system. It's a wake-up call that he is not ready for. And his response is very, very different to For instance, when God said to Abraham, I am going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Their wickedness has come up to me. God saw the gross evil of those cities. He said, I'm going to judge them. Rather similar to this. I've seen the evil of Nineveh. I'm going to judge them. And you'll find Abraham's response is very different. Abraham sets himself to pray. He says, oh, God, you know, if there's a hundred righteous, and he argues with God, God, don't do that, don't do that. And if there's 50, if there's 20, if there's 10, he's just, he really takes advantage of the fact that he's a prophet of God. He's got access to God. He can call on God. Jonah's nothing like that. He's got no sense of what he's got really like. He doesn't have any feel for what God wants to do. Notice the difference with Moses. When God said to Moses, I'm going to blot out Israel. I'll start a game with you. And it almost gives Moses the promise, you can be the Abraham for the future. It'll be at the people of Moses. And Moses says, no, Lord, you can't do that. And you get this terrific intercession. Moses coming before God saying, no, Lord, you mustn't do it. You mustn't do it. And God is obviously pleased with him. It's recorded. And how God allows him to press in. And you find God responds to that intercession. So here's a prophet who doesn't really know God's heart. So Jeremiah is told, this is going to happen. Judgment's going to come. And, and it says, Jeremiah could hear it. It's like, it's like I can hear the hoofbeats. I can hear this army. It's coming. And he starts describing the army that's going to come and judge Israel. It's like it's already there. I can hear the snorting of the horses. I can hear their hoofbeats. I can, they're coming. They're coming. And because he's so feeling what God has said. Jonah, nothing like that. Nothing like Hosea who starts weeping about it. This is a really turned off prophet who knows the truth, he's got the word, hasn't moved him, doesn't touch him, doesn't get anywhere near him. And so this fresh instruction, which he isn't anticipating, takes him hugely by surprise. You see a little bit in the New Testament when Peter is happy being around Jesus and seeing these miracles and amazing things happening. And then Jesus says, we must go to Jerusalem. He says, no, no, don't go, it's dangerous there. 
I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Come on, this is great. It's wonderful signs and wonders. We're going to Jerusalem. And sets his face. And Peter says, oh, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. You know what happened when you were there? Look at this real hostility out there. Suddenly, God's fresh word finds out that Jonah's not really in step. He quite enjoys the fact that he prophesied to a nation and exactly what he said happened. The nation prospered. He's a great prophet. But he's not really in touch with God. He doesn't really know God's perspectives. He doesn't have a great care for the bigger world. God's in his little world, and that's fine. He's not really taken up with God and his world. And suddenly this fresh, fresh word finds him out, really. And so we read Jonah made his own choice. And again, in huge contrast to Elijah, remember the story of Elijah, God says to Elijah, now go to Ahab and say, and he goes to Ahab and he says, he says, now go to a place I'll show you. And he goes out where the ravens will um, feed him and he'll drink from the brook. Then the Lord says, now go to uh, the next place, Zarephath. And, and you just read the story of Elijah and you keep on reading this. So Elijah arose and went. It's just every time, every time God says, go, go, go. Every step. The characteristic of this true prophet is he goes. And even when God says to Abraham, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, and take him to a place I'll show you. And there you're going to offer him up. And it says, early in the morning he arose. He's not, he's not casual, he's not careless. Early in the morning. You, is that what you want, Lord? That's what I do. And so Jonah, we find the very opposite. He arose and went from the presence of the Lord. (laughs) And if the story was just about God's purpose, the next line could be, so God called Amos and said, Amos, I've got a job for you in Nineveh. (laughs) It could so easily be that, couldn't it? Okay, thank you, Jonah. Goodbye, ex-prophet. You are a dead prophet. Now, God's story is about a man he loved. And this is the wonder, isn't it? The wonder of knowing God, that he is so kind. And the story of Jonah is about God's love for his servant and how he'd bring him right through. Although he seems a pretty unpleasant character, but God keeps on with him. It's a story of God's grace. The word of the Lord came to him. You see, that's the extraordinary thing. As Hugh was saying earlier, you can look back to the Old Testament and think, wow, these guys were so privileged. They saw a mountain. They saw a pillar of fire. Whoa. They said, no, wait wait a minute. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, each one shall know him from the least to the greatest. Every one of us knows God. In the Old Testament, only Moses. I mean, Moses goes and talks to God. The crowd stand there. They don't know God. They just follow the crowd. They follow Moses. They don't know him. We New Testament, this is the new covenant. In the new covenant, each one shall know me. From the least to the greatest. Good way round, isn't it? Not from the greatest to the least. No, from the least to the greatest. We shall all know him. And we shall all be prophetic. It says, uh, Joel says, in the last days, my spirit will be poured on all flesh. All will prophesy. Sons, daughters, old men, young men. We have this massive privilege of being a prophetic community. The word of the Lord comes to you. 
If you're a Christian, Jesus, the word of the Lord, has come to you. He is the word of the Lord, and he often comes to you. This weekend, we're hoping and praying he'll come to you. He speaks to you. He speaks to you in all sorts of extraordinary ways. Sometimes it's straight preaching. Sometimes it's when you're reading. Sometimes it's like some of these beautiful prophetic things. And as we're just hearing, I suddenly think of what happened on our honeymoon. And you just know it's not just a reflection. You feel, no, no, God's speaking to me. God speaks to us. It's an amazing privilege. The word of the Lord comes to you. Again and again, the word of the Lord comes to you. We're prophetic. We're like prophets. Each shall know him. God speaks to you and to me. It's an amazing privilege. Of course, this story is about how do we respond to what he says to us. And sometimes what he says to us isn't necessarily the thing that's top of our list. And sometimes it's the thing that shakes us. And then maybe we've got quite comfortable. Maybe, well, I'm enjoying God. I'm enjoying the church. I mean, it's great. God's given me a great family, a great job, whatever. And the word comes. I don't know. I don't want to hear that word. And it finds us out that it's comfortable having God in my life, but am I willing to be made uncomfortable by what he says to me? Do I still want to go on knowing him? Do I want to press on to know him better? Which comes from responding to the latest word. And so God will speak to us. Maybe he'll say, I want you to start to reach out to that poor family in your street. Why don't you consider the homeless in the town? He might say to you, look, in the workplace, you could have a Christian group. He may say to you, hey, I want you to raise your children with biblical discipline. Ah, it's a fuss. Husbands, I want you to cherish your wife. I want you to make decisions that show that you really love her. She really matters to you. Cherish her like Christ did the church. Oh, we get on all right. No. I'm asking you, I'm calling you. It's the word of the Lord to you. Wives, I'm I'm calling you. Honor your husband, respect him. Nah, he's a silly, no, respect him. I don't want to hear that word. So words come to us that sometimes we think, I don't know if I want that word. And it's important for us that we watch out for this danger that words that come to us don't kind of find us out and we, well, we refuse them. And we, we follow our own reasoning. In this sense, uh, Jonah showed himself to be a true son of Adam, who Adam chose his own reasoning. Satan said to him, you can be like God. You can make your choices. That's what the fall is about, isn't it? It's the fall is about, see, people get confused about what happened at the fall. Sometimes they think it's sexual because, oh, they covered, oh, they were aware they were unclean. No, I'm naked. It's about, no, it's not. It's about... You can be as God, then you can choose. You can know. You can know what's good and evil. You take, you take, you become God. Because God's holding out against you. You can't trust God. If you eat what I'll give you, then you can be like God. Then you can make the decisions, what is right and what is wrong. And the human race said, yes, we'll do that. Well, the human race said, we will be God. We will say what's right and wrong. Our reason will usurp the throne. Of God saying, do this. God says, do this. We say, hmm, that doesn't really match what I want to do. And I'm God now. So in this case, Jonah kind of gets like that. God says, go this way. He says, no, I'm going that way. And that's the beginning of the story. The story starts with 
a man who says, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. He hears from God, and he says no. <laughs> and so let's start following through what happens to him. It says, Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. It's a vivid phrase, isn't it? Fled from the presence. You may think, well, wait a minute. It says in the psalm, how can I flee from your presence? I could make my bed in hell. You're there. You know, I can ascend the mountain. You're there. I can go here. I go to the end of the sea. You're there. I can't get away from you. And so we say, no, God's omnipresent. You know, the Bible teaches God's everywhere. But clearly the, God, the Bible also talks about the conscious awareness of his presence. And for a prophet to flee from the conscious presence of the Lord, that's a disaster. Because a prophet depends on the presence of the Lord. A prophet ceases to be a prophet if he's not in the presence of the Lord. His whole identity, who is he? Well, I, I'm a prophet. I serve the Lord. I, I listen. This is what a prophetic people are. This is what actually a child of God is. This prophetic community. This East, Each one shall know me from the least to the greatest. That's who we are. We live in the presence of the Lord. We want to be in face-to-face -face fellowship. The word presence in Hebrew is the same word for face. It's the same word. If I'm in your presence, I'm in your face. We use that phrase down, I get on his face. But it's just sense of, no, no, Moses spoke face-to-face -face with God, presence to presence. And of course, came out with his face shining. He's a real prophet. He came out, Moses was amazing. He knew what it was to go into the presence of the Lord. That's why Elijah was so formidable. He came before Ahab. He says, it won't rain till I say so. And then what was his phrase? His phrase is this, the God before whom I stand. See, what made him an authentic prophet? What made him a scary guy? Was he stood before God. So he's not scared of standing before Ahab. He's not scared of, in the end, God says, right now, go, I will send rain. And he says, he goes to the nation, says, right, let's all assemble. And when you think about it, the courage of the man, thousands gather at Carmel, all these prophets of Baal, you know, the water on the, the whole deal. You think, oh, how can you get that, that? I mean, you are a scary man. How'd you get like that? I'll tell you how I get like that. I stand in the presence of the Lord. We're face to face. That's what makes his word authentic. That's why he's not scared to go to, goes to the king. And you remember when he's been hiding and then he comes out to Obadiah, he says, go and get him. He says, no, I know you'll run away and he'll kill me. He says, no, no, I'm not running anywhere. Get to tell him I'm here. I tell him Elijah's back. It's like some great gunfight, isn't it? You know, I'm back. And uh, <laughs> you think, what makes him so scary? Well, I stand before God. Beloved, we're scary when we stand before God. You're authentic when you stand before God. Your word counts when you stand before God. When your family's in order, when your life's in order, when you honestly say, Lord, as far as I know, as far as I know, I'm not trying to get us introspective. That's not biblical, really. It's just, yes, Lord, as far as I know. I've cut off the other stuff. As far as we're here for you, as far as we know, Lord, we're here for you. We really want to do it your way. And if you want to shake us up, if you want to pull the curtains aside and then open them and think, wow, the set's completely changed. 
I love that. I love that word. I love that. I used to go to the theater every week. And I love that. I love when, when, the, when the next, you know, it's the next step. And, and whoa, we think, boy, the whole thing's changed. But it's the same story. Sometimes don't, we don't want everything to change. Go to Nineveh. Some of you one day heard, go to Australia. God, Australia, it's the other side of the world. Some of you are born here, some of, but some of you, you've heard words like, go here, you think, go where? Or you've heard, I want to, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to change your job. I'm calling you to put down your work. I'm calling you that sometimes God's brought you crazy words. You think, you, open the, you woke up one morning and the curtains changed. And that is completely different set. What happened? Now, if you're in the story, you love it. If you're in the story, you think, ooh, what's going to happen next? If you're in your own world, you think, everything changed. I don't like this. <laughs> See, where are you living? Where are you living? You're living in your world, really. It's your world. You know God, but he doesn't mess with you much. It's great knowing he's around, but he doesn't really mess with you. But when he messes with you, when you change it, what do you think? What is going on here? And sometimes a word comes, go to here. You think, but no, no, I'm going to. And in that moment, you say, no, you're going from the presence of the Lord. Something horrible happens in your spirit. Somehow that face-to-face intimacy, well, I'm still a Christian here. But it's not like it used to be. Because you know, no, I'm not going to do what you say. And we don't often put it like that. But that's what we mean. Jonah was a bit more honest. He just went. He said, no, I'm not going. I went. He went in the other way. No presence, no ministry. You can't be a prophet without being in the presence of the Lord. And dear friends, we want to be, don't we? We want to be a prophetic community. We want to be part of God's voice to Sydney, to Australia, to the Pacific Rim. We want to be God's people, God's voice. That means for all of us, we don't want to start running from when he says something that we don't anticipate. You don't have to go anywhere, actually, physically, to run from his presence. I don't know if you've read much of Tim Keller. He's so very, very helpful. And uh, his writings are brilliant. And I think for him, more than anybody, perhaps, has brought the prodigal son story to life again. And we call it the story of the prodigal son. But you look at it more closely, and he makes this point, really. The prodigal is almost incidental to the story. The story is about the other brother. Jesus says it to the, to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are saying, what are you doing with these sinners? What do you sit with? You're supposed to be a rabbi. You sit and eat with sinners. You wine bibber. What are you up to? Call yourself a rabbi? And they're all like this big brother, really. The story's on the big brother. That's what it's about. And the outrage that he would accept back a prodigal. He you know, sits with sinners. We won't even talk to them. And what he's showing is that this big brother, this big brother who said, I have never done any of that. You've never thrown a party for me. And he, and he makes the point, really, that you can be away from the presence of the Lord without going anywhere. You can be goody two-shoes and you've lost God. You're not trusting in him. You're not trusting in him. You're trusting in, I'm, doing, I'm keeping his rules. 
I've never kicked over the traces. I've never done all that horrible, disgusting speech he makes. This son of yours. He's spent all your money. I've never done that. And he shows that the guy, the guy who stayed at home and says, I've never done it, is out of the presence of the Lord. He doesn't know his father. He doesn't know his father. His father says to him, all I have is yours. You can hear the heart of the father. Come, come in. He goes out, he goes out to the prodigal. Yeah, he runs. We all know about that. He runs to the prodigal. But he goes out to the other son. Come, please come. No. It's possible to go out of the presence of the Lord without going anywhere. You're there. You're just always there. I've never... No, but are you in his presence? Are you enjoying him? Do you know the the wonder of what the prodigal knew that day? Incredible acceptance. This son should never have been away. All I have is yours. Maybe you feel, I don't know, I wish I had a testimony. Some of these people that go out and come back, I was this, now I'm that, I've never done that. I haven't got a testimony. No, you haven't understood. You're beloved. You're treasured. You're delighted. If you're a believer, all he has is yours. Come into his heart. Don't just be in the house. Feel the romance of his affection. So you can be away from his presence without going anywhere. So what happens next? It says... uh, He fled from the presence of the Lord. And then it says, he found a ship. He found a ship. This is amazing, eh? I want to go to Tarshish? Whoa, there's a ship going to Tarshish. So God doesn't mind after all. God's provided a ship. (laughs) If God didn't want me to go to Tarshish, really, there'd be no ship. See, when you start going out of the presence of the Lord, you start getting it all wrong. Yeah, oh no, we were meant for one. I don't know, I know, I know, and I'm married, but this girl, she just gets thrown. I mean, we just keep on getting thrown across one another's path. It just happens. I mean, we're just fine together. She likes me, I like her, and things aren't at home like they used to be. And, wow, oh, it's just happening. I mean, I just feel God's in it somehow. <laughs> if you've been a pastor, if you've been a pastor right. for any length of time, Absolutely. you hear this utter trash. <laughs> And it's like, it's like, but it just, we were thrown together. I mean, I wanted to go to Tarshish. There's a ship to Tarshish. I mean, you know, Satan's got a fleet of ships going to Tarshish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you missed that one? Here's another one. So, so, here we go. Circumstances show it's okay. It's okay. And I've got the money. I mean, wow. So here we go. We were thrown together. If God didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't have happened. Now you find, we find with the Apostle Paul, he wants to go one way and the Spirit says no. He tries to go another way. The Spirit says no. And then he gets a Macedonian vision. Come over. But here's a man who's saying, God, my one goal that I might know you. One thing I do, forgetting everything. It's you I want. When you say that, God does that sort of thing to you. When you're saying, God, I want your will. I'm only after you. This one thing. That's the language of the Apostle Paul. This one thing. So he tries to go this way and he can't. The Spirit of God forbade him. Then he tried to go another. Now the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him. Then he gets led to Macedonia. You remember the story in the book of Acts? When you say, Lord, I just want your will, he will shut you in. 
Sometimes, I think that's a word of the Lord to some here. I don't know what to do, but if your heart is genuinely wanting his will, trust him. Trust him. He'll close. He won't let it. I've often found that in my experience, look over the years. Sometimes you come to a fork in the road. You can see it's coming up. You think, I don't know what the way is, Lord. I really don't know which way I'm supposed to go on this. But I do find I've got faith for is, Lord, I trust you not to allow me to make the wrong choice here. I don't know what the right choice is yet. But I'm telling you, I trust you. I'm trusting you. And you come nearer and nearer. And sometimes you have to make choices. But you say, Lord, I pray and I'm trusting you. It's very different to this. Fleeing from his presence. Oh, comes a ship to Tarshish. Threw us together. No, it won't work, eh? He found a ship. Next thing he did was he fell asleep. It's a, a kind of horrible process here. Lost all sense of purpose. No sense of urgency. And it says he got into the ship and he went down into the ship. And he fell asleep. Now sleep's an interesting thing. And there's a perfectly legitimate place for sleep. Right, we're not called to be workaholics. Follow me and I will make you a workaholic. That's not what the Bible says. Right? That's not it. That's not the story. In fact, I will give you rest. Learn of me. I'll, I'll give you rest. All right? So God, God's not looking for alco- uh, alcoholics. He's not those either. He's not looking for workaholics. Okay? He's, not looking for work. He's not looking for us to be driven, driven, driven. Jesus himself fell asleep in a storm. He was exhausted. That was God on display. He, he was tired. He slept perfectly. And, and, and elsewhere, it says he went in John 4, when he met the woman at the well, it says he sat down weary. Yeah, there's a right place for rest. There's a sleep that's totally innocent. He gives his beloved sleep, or gives them in their sleep, whichever way you translate that. He gives us rest. He wants us to know his rest. But there is a sleep. There's a kind of lethargy. It's kind of, yuck. you just kind of lost the plot. And it's weariness. It's kind of, you've lost the way. There's a kind of aimlessness. And it can result in boredom and a kind of flopping. A kind of, oh, what's on the telly tonight? I don't think I'll go to group this week. Oh, I've been before. I think much happens. I was a prayer meeting, I know, but I've had a busy week. There's a kind of tiredness that is not really tiredness in the sense that Jesus slept. It's a kind of you've opted out, really. You're not in the big picture. You're not preoccupied with God's big picture. And so, wow, I can't be bothered. You've forgotten I'm a prophet. I hear the word of the Lord. I'm awake to God. I'm a citizen of heaven. No, tired it's a hard day at work today and and so there can be a tired do you know you can even get bored while you're very busy it's possible to be very busy with the program and in your guts you're bored you're still busy in christian work even but inside bored and this guy he, he really turned off from god and so the result was he fell asleep he just fell asleep Maybe you've come away this weekend. Last night we heard from Jamie about coming and we're wanting something fresh from God. And what can happen is that you can kind of have, you think, I don't know what happened to me. And I don't quite know when it happened. 
But I fell asleep. I've, I've kind of lost the plot, really. I'm along, I've turned up. And there's something in me that I guess I turned up with this kind of, I think as Jamie was saying to us last night, really, it's kind of, I want something fresh from God. I'm, and it's happened because, well, we, we did, we stepped, we stepped back somewhere. Somewhere we started making choices that were really saying, well, it's more comfortable to do this. Somewhere we may not have fled from the prayer. We may not have had this dramatic, no, I'm going this way. We may never, you can't say, well, I don't know when I did that. But choices started happening which were saying, can't be bothered. No, I won't. And it may not have been so flagrantly, no. But it's resulted in you falling asleep, actually. And he went downstairs in the boat and fell asleep. He fell asleep. And then what did he do? Well, he completely failed. He failed the context. He failed the people. He failed the drama. He failed what was happening. He failed the world. He became irrelevant in the midst of a storm. Here's God's prophet, and there's drama happening, phenomenal drama. And he is totally irrelevant. He's the prophet of God, and he's irrelevant. Imagine Elijah. (laughs) Talk about irrelevant, the stories built around him. He's the voice of God. He's where, you know, he may be out there in the Zarephath, three years by, he's three years by a stream, but he's totally the heart of the story. You could say he's irrelevant, but he's not. He's carrying the story in his heart. Look at Joseph. He's in a prison. He's irrelevant. No, 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 no. He's not irrelevant. The story is being built around him. We go through seasons of being shut in, but actually the story is being built around you. You get the story of David. He's in a Dullam's cave. He's irrelevant. No, no, no. The story is being built around him. He's actually face to face with God. So we can judge things wrongly. You can come to times and think, why, why is everything so small? Why is it only a Dunham's cave? Has God forgotten me? Or Joseph, well, has God forgotten me? I thought he promised such wonderful things. Now the story is being built around this guy who's still listening to God, who's still alive to God. When a man says, I had a dream, Joseph doesn't say, yeah, I used to have dreams. <laughs> That's what happened. Forget dreams. It's I got into prison. He doesn't say that. He says, tell me, your, tell me your dream. This guy's still alive to God. He's in prison. He's been lied about. I mean, things could not be worse. Things have turned out so badly. God's abandoned me. No, he doesn't say that. He says, tell me your dream. He's still believing. He's still in faith. The story is being built around the prophet. Jonah's in this and he's irrelevant. He's hopeless. There's a storm and he doesn't have anything to say. They're all panicking. What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? He's asleep. Absolutely asleep. He's a waste of time. I love that verse in the the Proverbs. I say I love it. It's kind of challenging. It says, a sluggard has a door on a hinge. So is a sluggard in his bed. It's hysterical, isn't it? It's not like you turn over. It's like you're hinged to it. As a door on a hinge, so is a sluggard in his bed. If you look at the word sluggard in the book of Proverbs, it's a very scary figure. The things he does. He puts his spoon in the dish. 
but he can't be bothered to put it back to his mouth. <laughs> he says, I would go out, but there's a lion in the streets. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious. The sluggard. You just want to do a study on the sluggard in the book of Proverbs. It's just, it's highly comic, and yet at the same time, totally tragic. This guy is a waste of time. He's like, he's hinged to his bed. Is that the alarm? Oh, sorry, the hinge. <laughs> He's become hopeless. He's asleep. He's lost his sense of calling. He's lost his identity. And sometimes it's interesting. When things go, start going wrong, you find other people get to care about crises. You find it happens sometimes on a grand scale. So people say, there is a drug problem in our city. We are going to do something about it. And we'll do this, and we'll get some highly entrepreneurial guy. We'll do this, and we'll do that. And they'll come to your church, and they'll say to your church, we're going to do this about drugs. Will you guys get involved with us? You think, um, suddenly it's their vision, and they want you involved. You think, well, we're, we're the light of the world. Yeah, but we're doing the drug thing. Will you join us? It's like, well, other people get more concerned about things than the churches. And sometimes they're trying to scoop us up into... The, so they're saying, let's do this, let's do this. Call upon your God, we'll do it. Let's get, let's stop bailing the water. What are you doing? Oh, I'm sleeping. That's scary. That the salt of the earth can get trod. It's good for nothing. If it's not salty, it's good for nothing. And Jonah's good for nothing at the moment. He really is good for nothing. And then they say, will you help us? And then we get the last point of this story, that in this first talk... He, kinda, he suddenly found himself. He found himself. Who are you anyway? Who are you? I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Suddenly, he, it's, a bit, it's a bit like the story of the prodigal, isn't it? Where he says he came to himself. Suddenly wake up. Hey, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? He suddenly wakes up. Ah. I fear the Lord. I'm a prophet of God. He comes to himself. You wake up to, no, no, I belong to God. I'm not just a, you know, he was formerly, he was a prophet, the nation. Okay, the nation's backsliding. I had the word of God. I gave it accurately. The borders would be extended. But there's no sense of really catching God's heart. What does God feel about the nation at the moment? Are you sharing God's heart? That's what you could ask Jonah. Are you really in touch with me? Are you, are you feeling the pulse of what I'm feeling? And God wants to wake us up to his bigger world. What does he think about the millions of Sydney? What does he think about the millions? What does he think about this and that? What, is, what does God think? And here suddenly this guy wakes up. I am a prophet. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. And when it's interesting... When the man of God wakes up to who he really is, what's the outcome? The others begin to fear. You know, it's really like revivals like that. Revival, revival. Some people call revival, you know, the outpouring of this and that. But the real, genuine, historic revival is when the church suddenly wakes up first. The church wakes up. And you read the history of great revivals, you'll find suddenly the church wakes up. I love the story of the 1859 revival. It started in uh, New York. A guy called Jeremiah Lamphere began to have a passion for revival. Started at a lunchtime prayer meeting alone and put a notice up and invited people to pray with him for an hour at lunchtime. 
And before the hour was over, like five people have drifted in. And then he does it again, and it grows a little, five, 10, 15, 20. And they're praying and praying. And within a few months, it's extraordinary, within a few months, tens of thousands of people are praying at lunchtimes in churches all over New York. Why? What's happening? Well, there's a bit of a storm, actually. There's been a bank collapse in New York. The banks collapsed. The economy was in real, real problems. And thousands began to pray. And in the next year, the records show a million people were added to churches across the USA. A million people were added. Started with one guy saying, God, come. And then that swept across to Ulster, Northern Ireland. It swept across to Scotland. Swept right through England. And a million, a million people were added to the church in England in the next five years. Incredible revival. It starts when the church wakes up. When the church says, this is not what church should be. This isn't how we should be. It's when we re- really rediscover our identity, then that causes, what's happening? There's a fear out there. And, and then when revival starts breaking, you hear these amazing stories of people turning up at churches. and They don't know why they're coming. They're just like, we had to come, we had to come. And people are in meetings in the middle of the night, and they're turning up, and you read about Duncan Campbell in the Hebrides, and people just turned up, and they're praying, and they're crying, oh, God, have mercy. That's revival. It starts happening in Nineveh before the story's over. 120,000 of people start crying out for mercy. That's revival. But it starts when the church, when Jonah wakes up to, hey, I'm a Hebrew. I am a servant of God, the God who made the heavens and the earth. This vast God, not just this little God, not just my comfortable world. God that includes Nineveh, the heavens and the earth, the awakened prophet. They said, there's a storm, there's a storm. Do you know, (laughs) this prophet, this backslider who wakes up, understands the storm better than all these seasoned sailors. He knows more about what's happening than the sailors do. It's about me. That's what he says. It's about me. And then you get this incredible thing. And funny how Jesus uses the story of Jonah. It says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man. And in this moment, Jonah really begins to look a bit more like Jesus. And he realizes who he is. And he says, look, no, throw me. Throw me in. And they don't, no, 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 we can't do that. They start rowing. They're trying to, they're trying to do something about it. No, he says, no, no, throw me in. And here you get in, in Jonah this phenomenal beginning. It's the beginning, the great turning point in the story when he wakes up to what does a Hebrew do? And what is this Hebrew nation about? Well, this Hebrew nation is going to, in the end, it's like a V. It's going to come right down to one person who says, throw me in. Throw me in. You go free. Throw me in. One greater than Jonah is here. One who says, no, let the guilt fall on me. I'll take take it. I'll take it. That's the wonder of it, isn't it? I love that old hymn that uh, Hugh led us into. How marvelous, wonderful. He shed no tears for his own grief. Shed drops of blood for mine. Took my sins and my sorrows. Made them his very own. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said, 
throw me in. We're not going to do it now, but if you read uh, Jonah 2, this prayer he prays, you put that in the mouth of Jesus. You imagine, you look at that, you think, wow. (laughs) Just amazing as you read it. It talks about the billows have gone over me. And it's just, you think, wow, this is like he's cast me into the deep. Jesus took our place. That's how we can keep coming to him. We can keep coming back to him. We can know his acceptance. We can See, when we get saved, we're accepted. We're justified freely as a gift. But though we are justified freely as a gift, we can make decisions that take us out from the enjoyment of that. The experience of it for ourselves. He's accepted us, he's saved us, but we keep walking out from his presence. But because he loves us, he says, no, I'll take your sin. Come on back in, come back in. I'll take your place. I'll, I'll, I'll stand Look, 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 just throw me in. He, he took our guilt. He took our place. He said, I'll take it. You go free. Maybe this morning Jesus has spoken to you about some things. Maybe some stuff that he said to you and you think, well, I've not really taken it seriously. I may not put my fist in his face and say, no, but I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And sometimes I say, oh, I don't really understand. It's like, which part of go to Nineveh don't you understand? <laughs> but sometimes God says something to us and we say, well, I, I don't really understand what you mean. It's not true. Maybe this morning God's saying, come on, come on. I want, you've, I want face-to-face fellowship with you. I want you to be my prophet. I want you to be my voice into that office. Not that you've got to stand on your desk on Monday and preach from it. But whenever I give you that nudge, whenever it's that moment when you could say something, when you're at the school gate and you meet the other mums, and whatever it is God's doing, whatever maybe God said to you, I want you to get involved with this and get, oh, it would be costly. I don't know if I want to do that. Get into that school, get among those poor people. And the Lord's saying, come on, come on, let's go together. Let's go together. I've changed the school. I've changed the stage, but it's our story still. Don't be scared of a new stage. It's all about you. Let's move into it. Let's just stand to pray. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here amongst us. Lord, you know us. We, we thank you for these amazing stories. And Lord, we thank you that we, we do identify. Lord, we identify. You say do this, but we don't. Or we say, I'll think about it. Or we say, I, I would if I could, but I can't. Lord, I just, I just thank you. You've got, your own, you've got your own relationship with every individual in this room. You've got direct access to everyone. Well, thank you. We're all prophets. All may prophesy. Each shall know me from the least to the greatest. Thank you for some, Lord, who would even in this room say, well, I'm, I'm the least in the room. I thank you, Lord, we, would all, we all know you from the least to the greatest. And you love to speak to us. And Father, I just want to ask you, please, for complete obedience in our hearts. We may not be scared of a change of scene. We may not be scared of a sudden word. 
that we didn't expect was coming. It's kind of shocked us. And we were comfortable. We thought, well, I know what I am. I know what I do. Like Jonah did. And suddenly he's found out. Lord, I just want to ask you that you continue to bless this church by blessing every individual in it in our personal responses to you. That we together might grow in our knowledge of you as we receive your word and do it. As we experience your incredible mercy. And Jesus, we thank you. We can't thank you ever enough. But you're willing to take our guilt and say, let it roll on me. And some of us right now want to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've drifted from you. Maybe you feel a bit this morning, a bit like that older brother, the prodigal. You think, well, I never went, I never went off. But you know it's not face to face. It's not fellowship. It's not living like a son with a father. Maybe you want to come to him and say, Father, I'm so sorry. I want to know you. I, I, want, I really want to be back in face-to-face fellowship. And he's so willing to take your failure. He's so willing. That's, that's the whole deal. He stood in our place. He took our place. He said, throw me in. I'll take the guilt. But he was innocent. Jesus was innocent. But he's taking your guilt. And he says, come on, I'll, I'll give you life. But eat my words. Eat my words. Do my will. Father, I ask you to fulfill your purpose uh, through this word this morning in every one of our lives. That we might glorify you and bring you great pleasure. I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.